Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we have a really important topic that is not typically looked at from a medical perspective, and uh, mainly people focus on the political, and we're going to to be talking a little bit about that too. But um, the topic is why the, the caravan must be stopped from a medical perspective. And my guest today is Dr. Jane Orient. She is a physician who was graduated from, by, from Columbia University. Um, she is, has all kinds of affiliations with uh, various hospitals, but I think some of the most interesting uh, connections is that she is the executive director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and she is the president of Doctors for Disaster Preparedness. She's also the author of several books. One is Your Doctor Is Not In, I love that title, <laughs> Your Doctor Is Not In, Healthy Skepticism About National Healthcare. And then also she's written um, uh, editions of Sapira's Art and Science of Bedside Diagnosis, and then some children's books and novels and so on. Um, mainly today, uh, she has also written, and why we're talking to her today is because she's written um, an amazing essay on what to do about a caravan of ragtag migrants. Um, again, this is from a medical perspective and primarily, and uh, how, this, how these ragtag migrants uh, are dangerous for your health. I guess that's what we should call it today, how these ragtag migrants are dangerous for your health. So welcome to the show, Dr. Orient. Thank you. Well, there's so much to talk about. So... Um, well, first of all, why don't we start with where the ragtag migrants are today? Because I know this is every every hour the situation is changing. I mean, the news there was news about a judge in California who uh, is trying to stop or has has order made an order to try to stop uh, President Trump's uh, decision to um, to what to not, well, just basically to try to stop them at the border and not let them uh, claim, go through the legal process of claiming asylum. And, uh, you know, there are all these, I don't know, I live in California, and (laughs) I don't agree with a lot of the things that uh, the judges and the, in terms of political things, that the judges um, or the the politicians uh, uh, try to set forth whether it has to do with sanctuary cities or similarly now um, the migrants at the border or there are other things as well that uh, I find myself at odds with. Um, but let's, talk, let's concentrate on the migrants. Where do you think they are and what is the problem from a medical perspective? Well, I don't know where they are right now. I think they're probably scattered over kind of a long distance. I don't know how many there are. I don't know whether anybody does. But it's it's 
kind of a concentrated dose of a problem that we have been having for a long time, and that is uncontrolled entry into our country of people that uh, when we don't know who they are. It used to be that when we had waves of immigration, the people entered legally, but they were stopped for a period of time at Ellis Island, and they had to go under, undergo medical examinations, public health screening, and they had to be quarantined for a period of time to be sure that they were not incubating infectious diseases. Because, you know, once you allow an infectious disease into the population, it can spread uncontrollably. And if, if you're mixing two populations who have different immunities, different exposures, especially if they're coming from a part of the world where hygiene is very poor or where tropical diseases that we're not familiar with here are very prevalent, then the government should be protecting our people against uncontrolled outbreaks of diseases that we may have a very little ability to diagnose or treat. I mean, it's just simple public health that you need to to screen uh, people who are coming coming to live here and not just dispersing them all over the country, not knowing who they are or what medical problems they may harbor. I think probably the worst being tuberculosis that in many of these countries is multiply drug-resistant or is even extremely drug-resistant to just about all antibiotics that we have. Yes. You know, um, before we get into the, their diseases and medical problems, and yes, absolutely, I totally agree with what you just said. Um, but look, looking at Ellis Island, one of the things that I think was interesting about that was um, how they made people, the, the migrants, the people who, before they allowed them into the country, they made them walk up and down a flight of stairs. Um, and were able to sort of as a first screening to see whether people were having problems, um, you know, getting up and down the stairs, which would indicate some kind of ill health. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I guess that's one one kind of a rapid screening test that doesn't require a lot of expense yes, or medical right. equipment. I wasn't familiar with that particular thing at Ellis Island, but I have to say that it, it does make a pretty good sense as a screening test. Yes, and but in and in general, um, you know, yes, you know what you're saying about this them being quarantined there, and there wasn't. It's interesting to compare. Uh, the political climate then was now that now you know everyone if people if people did if if we did um, now with the migrants what was done at Ellis Island there would be all I mean there already is all of this pushback just in general about doing anything other than just opening the doors um, but. You know, I mean, that that was the sensible thing to do. It wasn't just walking up and down the stairs. I just want to make that clear for my listeners. That was just one screening uh, process. But, of course, there were other ways in the quarantine and so on. But, um, but you know, if, if we, if people said, if doctors said or politicians said, uh, some kind of authority that we should have these migrants quarantined and test them for all these diseases, uh, the people who wanted to do that would, and you may ex- obviously have experienced this yourself with um, interviews that you do, that I don't know if people have said, well, this is racist or this is 
um, you know, this is wrong. We should just kind of open our doors, and and this is um, prejudice. And I mean, have you ha- when you've been doing talking to people, have you been having any kind of um, pushback to that? Like, why do you want to do all this? Well, I think that there there is this this narrative in the, in the media that well, you must be xenophobic if you want to be sure that uh, people are healthy before you expose all of the American population to it. But there's just one example of what happened here in Tucson one time. There was a case of active tuberculosis that occurred in the labor and delivery room at one of our big community hospitals. I don't remember whether it was a visitor or whether a patient, but the, the upheaval and the cost was tremendous. Everybody who came in contact with with this person had to be screened and followed for a period of time to make sure that he he had not gotten tuberculosis. So the newborn babies were exposed, the laboring mothers were exposed, the nurses were exposed, the visitors were exposed, and this this potentially could be a tremendous problem, especially if this was one of those those um, organisms that just doesn't respond to treatment or one that requires uh, more than a year of observed treatment with very expensive and toxic antibiotics. I mean, so how much of a, of a risk are you willing to subject people to in order to protect the feelings of people who are coming in? And, you know, this is our country, and we have a responsibility to the people who are living here as well as to the migrants themselves. I mean, with they, they are also going to suffer from the diseases that they have that that are undiagnosed. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, people don't because there isn't that. I mean, we've America has done a lot to eradicate tuberculosis, but um, so people don't really know. Most people don't realize how serious of a disease that has been in the past and, and is still in various places, like, as you say, in some of these countries that the migrants are coming from, and how drug-resistant um, it has become, some strains. And, I mean, yes, it takes three or four different types of antibiotics. That's assuming that it's going to be responding to them. I mean, in the hospital that I um, am an attending at, uh, at Cedar Sinai, every year, every two years, we had to get uh, tested for TB. I mean, that's how you probably had the same thing in Arizona, right? Well, yes, yes, we do. And uh, people don't realize you can catch TB on the bus, um, and it can reactivate years later, even if it, you just have a locus in your lung that has been inactive. Uh, come across something that stresses your immune system and it can reactivate many years later. Uh, Even not too many doctors have seen cases like I saw at Parkland Hospital in Dallas, people whose chest was caved in from thoracoplasties. They had to have ribs removed to treat their, their tuberculosis. I mean, fortunately, we don't have to do that very often, but we maybe end up having a recurrence of this. Yes, yes. What are some of the other um, diseases that you are concerned about coming over the border? Well, I think we need to worry about dengue and chikungunya and some of these um, insect-borne diseases um, that can be that can be fatal or at least can be extremely incapacitating and painful, and for which there really isn't any treatment. They are a public health threat. 
and once you get infected people here and you get the population of mosquitoes infected, then, then we can have a, a major outbreak of a, of a disease that doctors aren't even familiar with because they've probably never seen it before. Yes. Um, tell us about dengue. Well, I guess it's called bone break fever because of the, of the terrible joint pains that it causes. And people do most of the time get over it, but it can cause a fatal hemorrhagic fever and people can die of it. And it's, it's just the sort of thing that, that you really wouldn't want to let in, into your country if you could, if you could help it. If you, if you mm-hmm. find a case mm-hmm. of, of some of these contagious things, there are tremendous public health costs to trying to contain an epidemic once it starts. Yes, and chicken, I know, I must say, I never heard of chikungunya. Well, it's another one of that? those um, things that can, it can be, uh, cause a hemorrhagic type fever, but it is also a, vir- uh-huh. a viral disease that is spread by mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we saw, we've, we've seen some of the, um, the potential of diseases coming into this country. What was this? Now, now I'm blocking on the name of it, but what was the, what was the mosquito-borne illness that was a problem in Brazil and during the um, Olympic? Oh, Zika. We were well, Zika is, is a, a possibility right. also. And I've read a report recently that Chagas disease, which is a very, which is eventually fatal, but it's it's a very uh, a sneaky disease. You can be asymptomatic for a long time, and it's carried by by uh, kissing bugs and that live in um, pack rats and things. And it has been found in dogs in Texas now. The U.S. has been pretty much free of Chagas disease, but now it's showing up in dogs. And we do have the vector here already. And if we get a number of the vectors infected with people who have Chagas disease, then there will be a terrible price to pay. Mm-hmm. So if we just let in unrestricted people who don't have any kind of health screening and we don't know where they came from, we don't have any way of tracking them or following up on them, then we're just taking risks that at this time we, we really can't even estimate accurately. Absolutely. Oh, and then there's that acute, yeah. acute uh, flaccid myelitis that's showing up around the country. And there was a lot of that back in 2014 at the same time that children from Central America were being brought into the country and dispersed into schools all over the country, resulting in Mm. thousands of children with serious respiratory illnesses. Um, Many of them ended up in the the ICU on ventilators. Some of them got this polio-like paralysis. The CDC never did do an adequate investigation to figure out where it came from. Possibly they didn't want to know the answer to the question that maybe yes. sprung up in all of these sort of separate places all at once, just coincidentally at the same time we were bringing in a lot of Central American children from countries where this, in this virus, the enterovirus D68 was endemic. The children themselves may not have shown too many symptoms because they had immunity to it. Uh, at least some degree of immunity to it, whereas American children, it was kind of like introducing smallpox to the American Indians back when the English first came, that uh, they Mm. suffered very devastating impact. 
Mm, yes, and you, I just want to make it clear, you were being sarcastic um, when you said that, uh, you know, a coincidence that it was just when the children came in. Um, well, it seemed to be a coincidence, and, yes. and if you looked at the maps that some people compiled, they, they looked sort of similar, but you can't really say with certainty whether that was the source of the epidemic because we just didn't do the careful uh, contact tracing and tracing of the ins- of the, uh, the the first case that would normally be done. Yes for most yes. infectious diseases. Yes, but I mean obviously it it you know it it is unlikely to be a coincidence if it's a if many of these places are the same places where these children got distributed to. Um, right, but but you know this wasn't really verified in the medical literature by the right. CDC. This was something that came up on internet sites. And so you you know maybe it's true and maybe it it isn't, but it would seem like uh-huh, government uh-huh. should be able to say the question has been raised and we know the answer to it because we have asked yes. the appropriate questions. Yes, yes. Um, what um, have you in as as director of the uh, association? Well, in any of your capacities or many different capacities. Have you been doing anything, taking, trying to get action taken to, um, to examine these migrants for some of these things that you've just been talking about? Well, the, the one thing that I did as, as chairman of the Public Health Committee of the Pima County Medical Society is we did discuss this with the uh, director of the Pima County Public Health Department, who tended to be uh-huh. very reassuring about it. Oh, these children are coming from countries that have good public health programs and they, they have immunizations and and we keep them for a while in, in these places and we they do get checked and so on. But then you hear reports from border control, a, control agents who will say, well, these children are being shipped on, on airplanes to all over the country mm-hmm. that they are, some of them reportedly are very sick some of the nurses who are taking care of them at the at the initial center should they go to they are very sick or they may have be very infested with lice but they're not allowed to talk about it if they say anything suggesting the children are not perfectly healthy they're going to lose their jobs and so anytime you wow. have the impression of reporting uh, you'd really need to be worried Wow. All right. Well, we need to take a break now, but when we come back, we'll talk more about this. This is, this is, really, um, this is really an urgent kind of situation. My guest is Dr. Jane Orient. Um, we're talking today about the ragtag migrants who um, need to be uh, better examined from a medical viewpoint before they are just willy-nilly allowed into our country. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. 
Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about the caravan at our doorstep. Some actually have crossed over, climbed over the uh, wire and so on. Um, I mean, this is an imminent threat. They're, it's not, they're not just walking, walking through Mexico. Um, some of them are actually walking into the U.S. Um, and why this caravan must be stopped from a medical perspective. My guest is Dr. Jane Orient. She's the director, the executive director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons and uh, has many other titles, um, also the president of, the, of Doctors for Disaster Preparedness and so on. We were talking before the break about all the different diseases that these migrants may well have and... Um, and how important it is for them to be tested, kept in quarantine, and so on. And I was just thinking during the break, um, asking her about the the uh, disease that I don't know if it's from, I don't know if there are cases in South America, um, you might well, Dr. Orient, but certainly in Africa, we were um, not that long ago, we were worried about and had risk of, uh, bringing Ebola. It, well, in fact, Ebola did come into our country from people who were traveling in various African countries. Well, it did, Tell and I think we were very that. lucky to have avoided uh, an epidemic here. But, but keep in mind that a lot of these people who were in the caravan are not necessarily from Central America or Mexico, that there are Africans, yes. there are people from the Middle East who see this as one way of walking unimpeded into the United States. Some of them may be sick, but I think that another public health threat that we need to consider is that some of them are known criminals and they are known terrorists, and this is one way they have of using the, the, the people who are legitimate, possibly legitimate refugees from Central America as human shields to conceal themselves to sneak into our country when they're, they are not just here to better themselves, but they are here to actively harm our country. Yes, absolutely. And, of course, um, as the terrorist therapist, um, my major concern um, has been, um, until you started talking about all these medical issues, 
<laughs> now, that is an equally uh, serious problem. Um, but certainly that, yes, it is very easy and for terrorists to be hiding amongst this group. And people who, you know, try to say, I mean, when President Trump said something about there being terrorists, oh, the mainstream media was, um, you know, some of the, a lot of the mainstream media was saying, oh, he doesn't have any proof of that. And so on. actually there are people in the terrorism, counterterrorism community who have, um, who are aware of the fact that there are terrorists in the mix of these migrants. And it is a very, you know, it is fair to call it an invasion. Um, it is fair to call it a threat to America, both in terms of these diseases, a threat to public health, but also um, a threat in terms of people hiding behind them to, you know, get in with this group. And, and um, although it might not be too p- politically correct to say this, certainly a lot of terrorists do look like... <laughs> Um, a lot of the people who are coming from South America at first glance. So, well, um, also there are hard. people that we don't hear about in the mainstream media, but have been reported. Uh, they are they are not marching with the the ordinary people, but they are heavily armed and dressed in uniform and camouflage, and they are also coming along the same route and are not being reported. Or if you just look at the composition of the people in the caravan, it, I mean, they do not look like the war refugees after World War II or even at places in Africa or war-torn countries. They are not starving. They are not emaciated. Yeah. They are not clad in rags. They're relatively well-dressed. They are not coming with their entire family and carrying everything that they can, all the worldly possessions that they are going to have with them. But they, they are relatively well-fed, and they're not all walking. They, you see pictures of, of trucks with people crowded inside of them. It, it, there, there's something going on here besides just people who deserve our sympathy who are fleeing from, uh, from uh, death and destruction in their homeland. Well, yes, absolutely, and you make this point in your essay, and it's absolutely true that all these thousands of people, uh, you know, the numbers vary according to who's reporting it, but anywhere up to 10,000 people so far um, have been reported to be heading our way, and um, 10,000 people don't wake up one morning in different countries and decide to start walking to the U.S. border. Well, they do not. And look, 80% of them are men of military age. Mm -hmm. I guess they're leaving their wives and children behind to suffer all this terrible oppression. And a lot of the women are are being sexually abused or raped. At at least in Guatemala, they apprehended or they they rescued six or seven children who were had been kidnapped and are probably being carried here by human traffickers to have a life of sex Mm -hmm. slavery. How many of these children yes. really are with their parents? How many of them have been abducted and their their fate in life is going to be drug mules or sex slaves? Yes. All of these things are yes. going on there. These are threats to health, not only of the people themselves, but also to Americans. And it, it just is, is insane to allow thousands of people to sneak through the borders without knowing who they are, what their purpose is, what diseases they carry, what weapons they carry, what intentions they have, and, you know, why they, why they really are here and who is organizing this and paying for it. Yes, I mean, that's the most frustrating thing. And I, I, 
I don't understand why, and maybe our government does know, but I kind of don't think that they do, or we would we would have heard about it in a tweet <laughs> from President Trump. But it's just, re- I mean, there have been speculation, uh, George Soros, and I, I don't know, do you have any, I really don't have any, I mean, other than... Um, other than obviously someone with a democratic or a um, communist uh, bent. I, I mean, I don't really, uh, and terrorism, of course, but I, I, can't, I don't have any idea to say who it is who, is, who started all this, who is funding all this. Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, well, you, you can read all kinds of things on the Internet about maybe George Soros is funding it or others are funding it. There are people who, who want to destabilize our country, who want to undermine our rule of law, who want to get people in the voter rolls who are, who are antagonistic to America. You know, and why are they coming to America if, with a Honduran flag or a Mexican flag if they really want to be Americans. I, I don't know the answer to who, where the money is coming from, but I, I don't believe that it's impossible to figure it out. I mean, we have all of the surveillance right. over everything, all financial yeah. transactions. How is it that nobody knows exactly where the money yeah. is coming from? Yes. And especially with these buses and trucks and all that, you know, who, that have been helping the migrants along the way. I mean, surely we must have a way of figuring out who these people are who are driving the trucks, paying the truck drivers. And you mentioned something about, um, you know, seeing men in white shirts giving money to these migrants. I mean, how is it that we're not able to figure out where this is all coming from? Well, I, I don't know that it's impossible to figure it out, but I think that uh, the people in charge of figuring it out may not want the rest of us to know. I mean, who, know, who knows what yes. to believe yes. when you can't really necessarily believe not, not only what you see in the Internet, but what you hear in the mainstream media. Yes, right. And yes, of course, there, it was talking about coincidences. It was not only is it not a coincidence that um, that all these people, 10,000 people woke up one morning and decided to walk to the U.S. It's not a coincidence that they started doing this right before the elections. Um, no, I don't think it's right to... But we do know that there's a huge amount of, of human trafficking and drug trafficking, and while our border control agents may be busy changing diapers, um, there may be all kinds of people walking across the border with huge caches of fentanyl that are causing a terrible epidemic that are killing our children and our young people yeah. um, by contaminated drugs. Yes, yes. Um, I, I mean, I agree that some people must know more more and um, aren't saying for whatever reason, but, um, but at the same time, I mean, I... I am a little disappointed, and well, that's a lot more than disappointed, but it is a big concern that, and kind of a shock in a way, that um, people, that that there aren't more troops at the border, um, as Trump had wanted, 
um, to stay, you know, some of the troops are coming home now, the ones who set up the barbed wire and so on, they are starting to come home. I read something about how they're supposed to be home by December 15th. Um, and maybe that's fine for those people because they're the kind, they're the troops who are into logistics and setting up this barbed wire and so on. But there should be troops, um, who are there who can actually do more to stop the people from crossing. Now, I know if, they, if people, if troops started shooting at the migrants, um, obviously that would be a big, <laughs> a big brouhaha in this country. It would be, uh, you know, start a, a civil war or something. But, but um, there needs to be, you know, some more, more power, more force, more than barbed wire, let's put it that way, to stop these people um, sooner than what's happening now. Well, I don't know whether any women and children will be traversing the barbed wire. I suspect that's going to be young men of military age who are going to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, what, what is the role of the military but to protect our borders? For example, we've got this route in uh, Tucson. I think it goes toward Yuma and San Diego. There used to be signs on the, on the highway warning you about this. I think those have been taken down. But the government cannot assure your safety, particularly at night, because this is, in the hills, there are these banditos who are drug smugglers who are very aware of, of, the, of the traffic, surveilling everything that comes through there, because they're the drug lords. And this is their protected route, protected by them, to bring drugs into the U.S. And I don't know what, what can be to, to control people who have military armaments, military equipment, military surveillance capability, aside from military force. Right, right. Um, and yes, the idea that if they were to throw stones, that that would be uh, reasonable, a reasonable reaction to, to shoot them or to do something to contain them or to get them to stop. Um, you know, another thing that's been happening recently, like in Tijuana, have you heard about this? That um, some of the people, although... Although it's been said that Mexico has been offering some of the people jobs and um, the ability to apply for citizenship in Mexico and to have jobs because there are job openings and so on, and, and some people have been staying and doing that, um, but not the majority. And then in Tijuana, um, some of the people, who, you know, which is a, a main border crossing for California, um, some of the Tijuanans, <laughs> uh, the people who live in Tijuana, have um, gotten, have become violent towards these migrants, that they don't want them in their town, um, which is kind of interesting, uh, you know, that there's this sort of difference of some people in Mexico helping them to get closer to the American border, and some of them... Um, feeling angry, not wanting them to take their jobs, not wanting them to, to leave uh, a path of, of rubbish and, and, uh, and human waste and all of that. Um, you know, that's part of it, too. Talk about spreading disease. You made the point about there aren't, there aren't bathrooms along the way. They're just, uh, you know, going in bushes, presumably. Well, if you look at the, if you look at the land in southern Arizona, of the private ranch land or, or just the other routes that these migrants take uh, that not in the caravan. I mean, it's just, it's just a garbage dump, human waste, all kinds of discarded, discarded items. 
I mean, it really, in itself, it's a public health threat just, just because of that. And, of course, the people in Tijuana are probably distressed if we close down the crossing because there is an enormous amount of traffic from Mexico into the U.S. for legitimate purposes. People who are visiting, people yes. who are going shopping, commerce between, between the two countries. All of this is imperiled, and people will suffer economically if we have to shut down the border because of these illegals trying yes. to force their way across. Yes, yes. Um, and when Mexico, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've seen the pictures um, on television uh, and on, on the Internet, of, you know, back a few weeks, um, it may be continuing to go on, but it started back a some weeks where uh, Mexico did try to stop them from coming across the border. There was a bridge. I'm sure, did you see that? And they just were oh, yeah. climbing yeah. over the bridge and swimming or walking uh, across. I mean, there was no respect for the Mexican authorities either, for that matter. No, there isn't. And if you've got just a few, what do you have, a few hundred policemen or troops and you have thousands of people who are determined to just walk over you or who are going to go around you or are going to, to uh, swim through the water, and you just really can't shoot them for, well, for political reasons or just for humanitarian reasons. And it really is taking advantage of the uh, more humanitarian principles of the West to try to overpower to overpower us with with human human weapons and human shields. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, we need to take another break. My guest is Dr. Jane Orient. We're talking about the ragtag migrants, the health hazard, and uh, lots of other hazards and and that are um, hidden in their midst. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the approaching caravan, encroaching caravan, and um, why it must be stopped, particularly for medical reasons um, that really aren't being discussed for the most part in the mainstream media. It's all about politics and xenophobia and how we have to be... um, you know, more tolerant and, and accept people, um, you know, who want asylum and so on. And um, these these medical hazards are being swept under the rug, which is why my guest, Dr. Jane Orient, is um, trying to get people to listen to all of the dangers that, um, that are coming along, along the route with the migrants. So, um, yes, but during the break, you started talking about how besides all the diseases and the lice and the everything else that they are undoubtedly bringing with them um, and the human waste left in our in paths and so on, um, it, the overwhelm of our medical system. So tell us about that. If these people come into the United States, and many of them are going to be sick, particularly after this very arduous journey, under unsanitary conditions, where are they going to go when they're, when they're sick? They're going to come to our emergency rooms. The emergency rooms, at, at least a few years ago when I was on the active medical staff, they're not even allowed to ask about immigration status. So, you know, if, if a person is under arrest by the immigration authorities and goes to the ER, the federal government has to pay for their care. If they're not under arrest and they're just there and they may be illegal and the emergency room is not allowed to figure it out, then the hospital, which means all the people who pay the hospital, the, the insurance companies, the self-paying patients, everybody is being forced to pay these medical costs. And, and many emergency rooms around the border have closed because they simply can't afford or they just simply don't have the facilities to take care of all of the people who just end up on their doorstep because they are just allowed in the country without any barriers. Yes, and you know, that is a, that has been a problem, an increasing problem over the past, uh, well, at least 10 years, um, as it is before any of these migrants were a twinkle <laughs> in somebody's eye. Um, and uh, because, you know, yes, a lot of hospitals, like in Los Angeles, a lot of hospitals and emergency rooms have had to close, or those that aren't closed are incredibly, incredibly crowded. Even, even in Los Angeles, I mean, it's worse, I'm sure, in San Diego and closer to the border. But even in Los Angeles or even in, you know, going further north, it is a, a problem already. 
and um, and what that means is that people who um, are legal in this country are getting less access to care, less immediate access to care. You know, someone with a heart attack sitting in a in an emergency room of a private hospital um, needs to, you know, may die because of the influx of people who got, you know, came there before, who. Um, uh, who are illegal and um, who aren't allowed to be turned away. Now, I'm not, you know, I know it must sound awful. What, you're a doctor and you're saying we should turn away people from emergency rooms? But there has to be some kind of uh, sanity in the process of allowing people into our country to flood these emergency rooms um, or more than is already happening. And that may seem that may seem cruel and heartless, but what about to the people who who are dying or not getting um, sufficient treatment because because of other people who who are illegal, who have done something illegal, are here and taking away uh, their right their their right to treatment. People who are here illegally. Well, this is true, and this is not just theoretical speculation. Like there, you, know, you see an occasional story in the newspaper about a man who finally gave up waiting at uh, Tucson Medical Center. Um, he was in such pain; he was lying on the floor. Somebody finally brought him a blanket or something. But hours and hours and hours, he finally left, and he died a couple days later in another emergency room of sepsis because nobody mm. even took a look. At, at his leg, which was, you know, severely infected, nobody paid attention to how much pain he was in because the place was just swamped. Yes. Remembering in Florida, that reminds me of, uh, remember it was like three or four years ago, there was a woman in, in a Florida emergency room and they didn't want to, you know, there were so many people they didn't pay attention to her either. And I know they made her leave. That was it. They made her leave because they they kind of didn't think that there was anything wrong with her because they didn't really have the time to do a thorough investigation. And she died. Do you know what I'm talking? Remember that? Um, I don't remember that case, but certainly if you have the place is overwhelmed, it cannot afford to expand the facilities or the personnel because these nobody is paying for the services. Then, then you are going to expect that people are going to suffer and die who otherwise could have been treated. Yes. Now, let's talk about vaccinations. Um, you know, some of these illnesses that the migrants are bringing with them, uh, we don't have vaccinations for or we don't routinely give vaccinations for them here. Um, you might get them if you go to, you know, if you're going to a foreign country. I remember when I went to Africa on safari a few years ago and I had to get a whole bunch of uh, vaccinations. Um, but that's not the routine here. And so there are all of these illnesses that are coming in that are not routinely vaccinated. And then there are some that we do get vaccinated against, but you don't think that that will necessarily take care of the problem. So tell us why. Well, measles is one one threat that uh, that is often mentioned. There have not really been any indigenous cases in measles of measles in the U.S. for a long time. Most of them come in through visitors or other people from foreign countries. Um, allegedly, the people from Central America may be vaccinated, but you know we're not checking their vaccine records at the border. We're not checking them at all. Right. And so it is extremely contagious and. And 
of the of the children who come down with measles in an outbreak, uh, most of them are unvaccinated, but about 30% or nearly a third have been vaccinated, but the vaccine is not completely effective. And and people who are whose vaccines have expired and who are in an older age group who are much more likely to get very sick from measles are not going to be protected. So we, we don't even want to let in diseases for which we do have vaccines by people who are unscreened and maybe incubating an extremely contagious disease um, when they show up. You know, I um, after I got my MD, I got a master's in public health at UCLA. And I remember distinctly talking about, uh, them talking about in epidemiology, um, how all of these diseases, you know, they listed various diseases, how they are gone now. You know, that uh, American, over the years, medical, American medicine have eradicated these diseases. And we're all, uh, we don't have to worry about them anymore. And then, of course, you know, now we're, um, we're seeing things that may well be coming into this country or, or are already coming into this country um, that we thought were gone, that we didn't have to worry about anymore. And now people don't have immunity, whether by vaccines or, or the natural immunity, you know, from people who had gotten sick from these things before. And then, of course, there's the added complication and I, I don't come down, um, I don't blame people for this. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't come down necessarily on one side or the other, but just, just it's a fact that there are more people who um, are not wanting to get vaccinations because of the fear of some vaccines causing autism and all that. Now, we don't know that for a fact, although I, I, I did have on the show people from the, the uh, movie back, um, you know, explaining, explaining, talking about the CDC and so on. But whether, whether you believe in getting vaccinations or not, there are an increasing number of people who have been refusing vaccines because of fear of whether they cause autism in children and so on. So on this um, additional population, um, you know, there, there is this incoming of migrants with all different diseases. So, so it's on a particularly vulnerable, there's an increase in the vulnerable population, those who decided that they don't need to get vaccinations or don't want to get vaccinations. Um, so there's, there's that, that adds an extra layer of complication and danger. Well, I think we need to, to realize that a lot of diseases may be forgotten, but they're not gone. And one of the results of yes. universal immunization is that we no longer have the robust, natural, lifelong immunity that we used to have, that we're totally dependent mm-hmm. upon vaccine immunity, uh, which is not perfect and that does wane over the years. And so, the, mm-hmm. you know, the vaccines have been a, a two, two-sided sword in a sense that... Uh, yeah, people didn't get measles when they were children, but uh, but they're still susceptible to measles as an adult. Where, you know, when I was a child, and maybe when you were a child, um, we used to get me. I had measles. I had chicken pox. What was the other one? Rubella. I, I even had whooping cough. Uh, that was not pleasant. Um, but, um, 
you know, it, it wasn't a big deal, really, at the, I mean, at the time. Like, if someone, you know, you'd have to stay home from school. But it wasn't, I mean, months for boys is a big deal because it can affect um, them, um, their sexual function and so on. But, um, but, but really, measles and mumps, for mumps for girls, measles, chicken pox, those kinds of things, not so much whooping cough. That was still relatively unusual. But, um, but it was just considered a, a normal part of childhood. So, so it wasn't a big deal. And um, and now it's it you know it ha- has become more of a big deal. I mean, what was your experience um, as a child? Did you did you have measles and mumps and chickenpox? Oh yeah, I did, and I had whooping cough, and everybody else in my family did, even though we were fully immunized against whooping cough. The thing is that the, these childhood diseases they they are sometimes fatal or have complications, uh, but generally they are quite benign in children in like. Early school-aged children, they are not benign in infants or in older people, but it used to be that the infants were protected because their mothers had natural immunity to measles, having had it as a child, and they passed along their antibodies to their babies that protected them for at least the first year or two. And then the older people didn't get measles because they'd already had it. So, like I say, the, Mm -hmm. the immunizations didn't eradicate the disease and they may have caused a bigger problem that we're going to find out about. Yes, it's true that it it, it kind of depends. It's it wasn't as uh, as deadly certainly um, as in childhood, like in elementary school and in middle school and so on, as it is for an adult um, to have those. Yes, absolutely. Well, we've come to the end of this uh, hour. Um, very important stuff. This is really important for people to take heed to what you're saying. Um, I hope that you will be continue to be speaking out all over the place um, because this is, you know, if this is one aspect of the of the problem that I think may reach people. You know, may go beyond the politics when they start to think about their own health and life and so on and that of their children, that, huh, maybe this really isn't a good idea if I'm going to get sick or I'm not going to get attention in an emergency room or, you know, this is a way to perhaps get around all this PC stuff. Thank you for being a guest on Dr. Carol's Couch. And thank Thank you you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 